split our furlough in half. And this is part two of that furlough. That furlough we did mostly out west and out east. And yes, I know you're out east. But you were further out east than I could get to. So this time we're mostly in the central part, Midwest and south. And we do have a couple of churches here and there that we are trying to get back to New York, uh, further east than this even. So that, that's why we're, we haven't been here for eight years, though we did come home in between. Let me go, go ahead and show you the slides that I have of uh, our work in poll. And I'm going in the back here, but you can obviously still hear me. And hopefully you'll be able to see the progression of slides. That's not, yeah, there we go. That's a little bit better. Poland, as you can tell from the map on the wall, pretty well sits in the central part of Europe. We think of it as an Eastern European country, but pretty much it's in Central Europe. Poland has a storied past. It's been a battleground during World War II. If you're a generation before I, before I was born, if you're in my generation, then you know that it came out of Soviet communism in 1989, but was subjugated after World War II until that time. So it's had a, a turbulent past in more recent history, but at one time it was the largest country literally in all of Europe. One thing that's been a constant, Roman Catholicism, one of the staunchest, most devout Roman Catholic countries in the world. And just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, illustrate that, every Catholic Holy Day becomes a national holiday. Stores, businesses are closed. This is November 1st, All Saints Day or also known as the Day of the Dead. And people by the hundreds of thousands flock to cemeteries throughout Poland, oh yes, to remember the dead, pay their respects, honor the dead, and also because of the doctrine of purgatory, to pray for their dead. And it's a sad thing. They bring their flowers, their candles, etc. They adorn them, they stay there. We take advantage of that day to pass out gospel tracts and literally get thousands of tracts out just on that one day day because of the people passing back and forth throughout the cemeteries. Another thought of regarding Catholicism is their images, icons, statues. This is the Black Madonna of Częstochowa. It's a mosaic of the actual painting. A couple of years ago, uh, the picture, the painting itself went on a pilgrimage throughout the city or throughout the country. It landed in Łódź for a little while, and of course all the churches had banners up for it. You have to understand that Catholics revere, especially in Poland, Mary as the Queen of Heaven. Polish Catholics have another take on it. Our sign there, or not our sign, but the sign above that church says, Łódź welcomes the Queen of Poland. So it's not just the Queen of Heaven, but the Queen of Poland. When the painting was here in this church in Wuj, I went there to get a picture and I caught a service uh, while it was uh, going on. And the priest on the left is actually pointing at the moment I took the picture to the painting on his left, our right. And he was saying, our mother hears us. So I, have, I caught him in the act as far as that goes. And they believe that Mary does hear them. I've seen signs in other places in that very city that say, to Jesus through Mary. They believe she's the mother of God. They revere her and they revere this painting. They believe it has miraculous powers. When we first went in 1999, went to the city of Warsaw for language studies. We ended up staying in the city to work with two men that were, had been there for a couple of years trying to start a church. I'm here to say that uh, we stayed there until 2004 when we came home on our furlough and we were here last. And that church is a self-supporting, self-governing church today. 
and occasionally I'll get the chance to go back and preach to them, uh, usually a couple of times a year. This man, Gregos, or Gregory, and his wife Elise and family, he got saved through that church about 11 years ago. And he was called to preach, and he's been preaching in that church. In fact, three years ago, he was ordained the pastor of that church. So there are no American missionaries serving in that church today. He leads the church, and they support themselves. Um, I have, anytime I'm with him, in fact, anytime I'm up there in Warsaw, or he comes down to Wuj to visit or preach for us, he insists on having a Bible study. Mihao. And and he just, you know, he wants one. There's a lack of material in Polish. And because of that, uh, the Bible studies that I'm able to afford to him are just to help to fill in some gaps that he might have or questions that he might have regarding the Bible. And it's a real blessing. He's a blessing to me. uh, And I trust that I am to him. Uh, Gregory, if you remember him and the church in Warsaw, that God will continue to use him and bless him and his family. In 05, we moved after that furlough back to, we moved to the city out of Warsaw to the city of Wuj to begin a new work from scratch. This is a, an idea of what the city looks like, 700,000 people, an old textile industrial city. We came back there in the uh, June of that year. In the fall of that year, we rented the lower portion of this building to hold services. We had to renovate the area. It was uh, kind of trashy and uh, obviously, strip things down and get ready to hold services. This is the sala or the hall that we use. We still use it today. And we held our first services the last weekend, last Sunday of November of 05, a few months after we had returned. A year later in 06, we held a, an evangelistic literature crusade. It's called Hope for Wuj, Nigeria de la Woji. I don't know if you're familiar with, but there's an organization out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, uh, Baptist Couriers for Christ, had a ministry, have a ministry in Eastern Europe. They brought 35 short-term missionaries for about, oh, upwards to two weeks. And we would go out and canvas the area with John and Romans that they sent us. They sent a container with about 300,000 John and Romans uh, booklets and about 500 Bibles to use, and then we printed up an invitation. You see Peggy there with the invitations in her hand. And then we would go out every day on the streets and spend six hours a day uh, giving out the literature. The Lord gave us great weather, and the Lord gave us a great group of people that really had a mind to work, and they had a servant's heart. In addition to hitting the, uh, the streets daily, we would also go to apartment groups, would go to the uh, high-rise apartments that are prevalent in communist countries like that, and uh, we would access the doorways with the intercom system and go to the top, and then just on our way down, go ahead and, and door hang the same materials to try to reach people that we couldn't reach on the streets. The, day, the last day of the campaign was a service, uh, an evangelistic service. We had no idea how God would bless if people would come. Uh, but bless the Lord, every, the theater that we rented out was filled to capacity. Almost 500 people uh, came out. Some actually had to be turned away. Uh, the fire marshal wouldn't let anybody in beyond capacity. If they, if they filled out a visitor's card, they received a free Bible. And you can see the results afterwards. And we gave out close to 500 Bibles. This, if you can read, gives you some of the idea of, of results of the campaign. Obviously, <clears throat> literature that went out, very important, getting the Word of God in the hands of people. Having them in a service to hear the gospel preached was very important also. 
The greatest blessing, in my opinion, were the visitor's cards because they, we were able to spend literally months afterwards following up on those cards and getting into people's homes, their apartment buildings, and being able to give the gospel to them over and over again as we were allowed to come back. People got saved, and through that, and uh, people, of course, came out to church, and people, through that, in addition to getting saved, got baptized. Our continued efforts to reach Wooj for Christ are evangelistic. I'm out on the streets five days a week, uh, giving out literature, uh, preaching on the street also. Our goal, of course, is to deal with people one-on-one, not just collectively as a group, but one-on-one as the Lord opens the door. Um, we have also gone door knocking. We have also uh, can for those high rise apartment buildings. Now we are able to actually put the material in their um, their mail slots, and they have those on the first floor, so it makes it real easy. And we can get in one of those different um, I call them klotkas, the stairwells. And with with a one apartment building, you might get, oh, give out 160 or more. Uh, pieces of literature, and then you just go to another one and another one after that. If I were preaching on the street um, and you passed by, you might hear me, if I were quoting, make it easy for you, if I were quoting a Bible verse, and I said, Albovium tak bug umiwova shat, jesinus fego jednoroz negodau abekajde, kato vniego vjezhe niezgino alemiao zhivot vjechne. And you would have heard me quote John 3.16. I preach on the street in Polish. I deal with people on the street in Polish. I preach in our church in Polish. We have church services, of course, like you do. Sunday morning, we have services. Wednesday night, we have services. And our goal, of course, again, like anybody, to teach and preach the people in their own language the Word of God, to ground them in Bible truth, and, of course, for any visitors that we have, to expose them to the gospel. We'll have church fellowships um, every other Sunday morning and just give our people a chance to um, see each other, fellowship with each other. Uh, At the same time, when we have a baptism uh, outdoors, we'll go ahead and have a picnic, dinner on the grounds sort of a thing. Again, for the same reason. And you fully understand the, the purpose and the need for believers to have some fellowship together instead of just going home and being away. And they can talk. Also, for any visitors that we have, it gives them a chance to see us and see that we are real people. We believe in uh, baptism. And for those that do get saved, we encourage them to, as an answer, uh, a, a testimony of their new faith in Christ to get baptized. We baptize usually publicly outdoors and a small lake. This is Asha that got saved and was baptized this last July in the same uh, lake on the south end of Poland. Afterwards, we'll get back on shore and uh, usually have a, uh, before we have a word of prayer, closing word of prayer, we'll have a hymn there. And people that are in this area, as again, it's a public lake, sandy beach, as you can see. And if it's a hot summer day, there'll be two to 300 people around. And I guarantee you, they'll see something there that they've never seen before. A Bible-believing baptism. Uh, and of course, when we're there with somebody, if I'm there with somebody in the uh, water and and going to baptize them, I will question them, which I've already talked to them about, but publicly question them as far as, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? And you recognize and you understand that this baptism has nothing to do with salvation and think simple things along those lines to establish their faith and their testimony in Christ, but also for our congregation to hear it 
and any visitors we might have, but for the public that's around the area to also hear uh, a public declaration of faith in Christ being baptized, not infant baptism. And of course, discipleship is a a goal of our church for those that do get saved to uh, spend time and dealing with them. Dodek is on the left, a young man that got saved, and Robert Agnieszka, a young couple that professed Christ as their Savior, and we spent extensive time discipling them as an example. In closing, this, just to reiterate in your minds the, the hold that Catholicism has on the Polish people. This is, of course, John Paul II, the deceased Pope, a couple of years ago, and they revere him greatly in the front in Polish. Translated for you, it's, as you can read it, it says, You were and still are for us the most beautiful gift that the Polish people have ever received from the Lord God. Now, I don't think you would have that in front of your church here. And I don't think if your pastor were to pass away at some point before the rapture that you would erect a statue and and write the same thing about him. He's a man. That individual, that statue represents simply a man. Jesus Christ is the gift of God who gave himself for us. This is, it's an abomination. But this is just typical and everybody there is of course fully convinced by it. So we ask that you pray for Poland. We ask that you pay, pray for Mike and Peggy Walski, that you'll take one of our prayer cards, and uh, also that you pray for the revival there, that, that hearts will be opened to the truth, that people will see the reality, the false uh, teachings that are in the Catholic Church, and that our ministry there will be effective. Thank you. Do you have a Bible? All right. If you have your Bibles, please take it out and turn with me to Romans, no, to Acts chapter 26. Pastor told me beforehand that we're going to practice a watch night service tonight. So I'm supposed to go to midnight, I guess. All right, I don't think that's going to happen. Two things won't happen. I'll finish before that and you leave before that. All right. Before we get started, just real quick, if anybody, do you have a question, something you'd want to direct towards me in regards to the ministry in Poland, in regards to Poland? Yes, ma'am. Okay, does the government have an influence or uh, regarding or our a ministry that's not Catholic, a church ministry not Catholic? Yeah, an interference and all in that sense. They object to us. Um, we don't have a problem being there at this point. We get a, I have a, um, it's not really called a visa through them, uh, but it's a, I have a permission to stay there and I renew it every two years, my wife and I each separately. Uh, And I don't have a problem getting that at this point. But we do have a church that sponsors us um, that is, what, government recognized and whatever. And because of that, uh, it's not necessarily an invitation from them, but they, in essence, maybe to 
clarify it, it be, that they would sponsor us, just simply put. And because of that, it's not a problem. That's in their constitution, in their books. And it because, part of it is because of the Catholic Church and the priests and all that you have priests from there going elsewhere and other, church, other countries, priests coming into Poland. So there's this going back and forth. So for me to come in there, you know, it, it's, it's not like it's under the uh, radar. It's, it's perfectly legitimate. Um, but I'm not a, I am a threat, but they don't know that I'm a threat. You, you don't understand what I mean. The, the Catholic Church is so large. Uh, I'm anybody like myself, just a drop in the bucket. Um, Catholic Church would be the one to object through the government. It wouldn't necessarily be the government, but eventually it would be the Catholic Church. And that, of course, could take place at some point. But at this time, we have perfect liberty, and we have liberty to be on the streets and do public evangelism. We have the liberty to hold our services. Again, you know as well as I know, things can change overnight. And before we go back, that could all be closed down. Uh, one never knows. Uh, we never thought, I never thought, uh, I guess, growing up and knowing that the uh, Iron Curtain was there for so long, uh, since World War II and being a you know, post-war baby, I never thought I'd see that down. But you know when it happened? It happened like that. And the whole world was shocked by it. And to, for Poland to be a free country again obviously opened the doors for us to be there. So let's hope and pray that they stay open. And not only there, but countries around the world that are semi-closed or whatnot, that the God will keep it open. One of the greatest challenges for every missionary going to a, a foreign, you know, any missionary, foreign missionary, one of the greatest challenges for them, obviously, the, you know, you have the language, you have the culture, you have religion, etc., that you're confronted with wherever you are. But being able to stay there. That's one of the greatest challenges they have. Their, their visas or, or whatever they want to call it, uh, that ability to remain in country. Some have to renew it on an annual basis. Us, you know, every other year. Uh, there may be some that can get a five-year, some that can get even a lifetime, and that's wonderful. But there are some that is, it is just hard. It's like pulling teeth to be able to get. It's gone long, long ago. Gone is the uh, idea, the mentality that, the, that a country would welcome you know, Western European missionaries. In other words, missionaries from England, et cetera, that had gone, you know, a century or so ago. Uh, long ago, that's out of the picture. Countries really don't really, don't care whether you're there. They, they have, let me put it this, they have no desire for you to be there, to bring your, what they see as bringing your culture to their country, wherever it is. Um, the only reason, you know, they'll leave it there because America is still a great country. And America still has a lot of influence and power. Uh, when that goes, then a lot of that freedom and open doors will go with it as well. So we praise the Lord for the ability to be there. And we just, uh, you know, anytime, any, any missionary you pray for, pray for their ability to remain in their faithfulness to stay, but also the ability to stay in that country that the government or the church or religion won't kick them out. I'm in Acts chapter 26. I hope you are there also. I'm going to begin in verse, oh, let's see. I think I'll start in verse 15. The context here is Paul relating and reiterating, giving a test, a public testimony to Agrippa. You can see that in verse 1 of how he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. 
So taking up the, the, in the middle of his uh, testimony, verse 15, he says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee." to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask and pray that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll illuminate your scripture to us, that your Holy Spirit will have free course in uh, what I say tonight, in my heart, as well as the ears and the hearts of those listening. Lord, we want to exalt you. We want to praise you. We want you to be lifted up above all. And we ask and pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We, as I said, we see here the fact that God sent Paul to be what? A missionary. Did he not? Look at verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now I send thee. And that's what a missionary is. A missionary, the word itself simply means once sent forth. Acts chapter 13, when we read in there, we see that Paul and Barnabas were sent forth by the Holy Ghost and by the local church. They were sent out. They were sent forth. And they, and it, probably most of you in the back of your Bible, if you have some maps, one of the maps will have Paul's missionary journeys on the map. We might say that Paul, outside of Lord Jesus Christ, would have been the first missionary. But I want to ask you a question. Why did Paul heed this call? He says, look in verse 19. Whereunto, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. What was it that caused Paul to yield? And what was it that caused Paul to fulfill God's commission for him? You say, well, God called him. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I beg to differ with you. God has called a lot of people to places they haven't gone. God has called people to mission fields. There have been young people that at camp and whatever. I've seen it with our kids. When I was at Redline, Pennsylvania for 19 years as an assistant pastor before God called me to the mission field, I saw, you know, kids, you know, come to me afterwards at camp and they'd say, you know, God called me to the mission field, etc. And they never made it there. I've seen, fellas, I, I, when I went on deputation in 19... 1997 to 99, I met two fellows that were on deputation prior to my going on deputation to Poland. You say, oh, well, good. Do you, have, do you get to see them when you're there? Do you have any fellowship with, you, with them there? Well, they're not there. They believe God called them to go. One fellow never made it there. God might have redirected him. I'm not here to question him whatsoever. Another fellow went and he was there for three months and he was back home. Again, I realize God can redirect people. But there was a calling in their life at some point that they said, God, I've surrendered to go to this country, and they never ended up there. Paul said, God called me to go to the Gentiles. And in Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision. My question to you today, my statement and question is, what was it about Paul that caused him to fulfill that? What was it about Paul that caused him to realize that in his life? Where, again, many others haven't. There have been, 
There are churches that are filled or have been filled with people that have been called into the pastorate or the mission field and they got frustrated somewhere along the line and they got out. They're not in church today or at least they're not in the ministry today. It happens. It's part of life. It's unfortunate. So what was it about Paul? Well, I want you to turn just a couple pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I have a simple message for you, and I'll try to condense it, uh, get you out in goodly time before midnight at least, or within a couple of minutes. But here's a, there's an outline in Romans chapter 1. That I think probably, and I can't, I haven't asked your pastor, and, and maybe he hasn't ha- or has not, but I think there's, there's such an obvious outline in Romans chapter 1 that most young preacher boys at some point, you know, latch on to, and then most pastors at some point in their ministry have preached it. And I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about if you go down with me to verse 14. Romans chapter 1, start in verse 14, three verses. Paul says this, as a word of testimony, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Three verses Three very similar statements. Verse 14, he says, I am debtor. Verse 15, he says, I am ready. And verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. Right? That's a nice outline, is it not? I mean, preachers look for outlines in their Bibles. They look for outlines, you know, Lord, to, you know, guide them and direct them and give them, you know, something from his word, etc. And that's a natural outline. And, you know, I've heard it preached in the past, too. I probably used it this way in the past also. And a lot of times a preacher will use, a pastor will use these verses as an encouragement to his people. Sometimes it'll be used as a way to call young men to the ministry. It works that way. I am debtor. I am ready. I'm not ashamed. And you can see how it would flow and work to get young men charged up to do something for God. I think pastors have used it also for their people to get them out soul winning. I'm ready. Or I'm a debtor, I am ready, I'm not ashamed. And you can see how that works. But you know, I have nothing against applying these verses that way. But I want you to look at these verses again and cause you to realize every one of these points that I'm speaking about doesn't deal with calling a young man to the ministry and it doesn't deal with trying to encourage your people to get out soul winning. What it speaks about is the mission field. You say, well, you're a missionary and you apply everything to missions. Well, no, that's not the case. Look at it with me. Verse 14. Paul says, now Paul is, what nationality is Paul? He's Polish? No, he's Jewish, of course. He's Jewish. But look what he says in verse 14. And it being Jewish, we know that at some point he was probably in Israel and all. We know he lived in Tarsus. But as a Jew, he lived outside of Israel. But look at verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and the unwise. The Greeks, not just people from Greece Greece itself, but the Greeks, the learned people 
of his time, the barbarians, the unlearned people of his time, people that were beyond the borders of the Greek or Roman Empire, beyond that, people that would have been in uh, Germany, people that would have been in France, people that would have been beyond that area. He said, I'm debtor to them. Well, he's not talking about calling young men to the ministry. He's not talking about going out soul winning in Israel. He's talking about going across the border someplace and trying. He said, I'm indebted to these people in outlying areas. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Jerusalem also. Is that what your Bible reads? No. It reads Rome also. Where's Rome? That's across the Mediterranean Sea in Italy. That's a long ways away. At that time, it's still far and far enough, you got to get on a plane or a boat or whatever else. His day, you either had to hike around the, uh, uh, you know, what is Middle East and what is modern day Turkey and Greece and all to get over there, or you take a ship across the Mediterranean Sea, but it's a long way. It's another country, it's another people. He said, I'm ready to take the gospel and go to you over there. And look in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, because simply in in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the gospel went out to the Jew, did it not? Peter preached at Pentecost to the Jews. And it wasn't until later on that you started seeing as they rejected the gospel that God went out to the Gentiles. So the Jew first and then also to the Greek. In every one of those verses, Paul is talking about going out to people beyond his borders. People that he didn't grow up with. And it's missionary minded. Why was Paul obedient to that heavenly calling? Well, first of all, verse 14. I am debtor. Paul turned on the travel channel someplace and flip around the channel and say, well, now look at that. I could go up in Croatia. It's a pretty area. I could go over there to Spain. I could go to one of these islands. And you know, it's very exotic and warm climate and very nice. And I think I'd like to serve the Lord there. Yeah, if I had a choice, I'd like to serve the Lord in Hawaii. How about you? Now, I want to be where God's called me to be. That's the best place to be. But I have flesh, too. And my flesh would love to be called to Hawaii if I could, you know, if I could get God's direction to call me there. That's just me in the flesh. Did Paul, did he just sit on something? Did he say, well, listen, I'm tired of my ministry here in Israel or I'm, I want to get out someplace else? You know, I've offended everybody I can offend, so i got to go someplace else to offend somebody. No. Paul says, first of all, he says, I'm debtor. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. What was it that caused Paul to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow up on his calling? The fact that inwardly he sensed and realized who he was. Because of the gospel, he was a debtor. That he was, what he received, he received at someone else's expense. All the blessings he had in Christ, he received because of Christ's, at Christ's expense. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus suffered. Paul got saved. He was a debtor. 
Hold your place here, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15. Just get a little bit of a Bible definition on this word debtor, a little bit of an insight, I believe, on the word debtor. Paul says, I am a debtor. Chapter 15, look at verse, well, let's see, we want to back up a little bit. Let's start at verse 27. Paul says, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, portions of what we would call Greece today, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So Gentile believers in modern day Greece, sending down an offering, a love offering to Jewish, no doubt Jewish saints, saved folk down at Jerusalem. That's the context. Look at verse 27. It hath pleased them, these Gentile believers, verily, and their debtors they are. They're debtors to those Jewish saints in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have been made partaker of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. It uses the word debtor and it uses another word, the word duty. They were in debt. Because the Jews, the Israelis, as a nation, rejected Jesus Christ, the gospel went to the world, did it not? Acts chapter 28. Paul, once and for all, finally, basically closes the door on the gospel, for the gospel to the nation of Israel at that time. Individual Jews can get saved throughout church history, of course. But as far as the nation of Israel, it appears from, from Acts chapter 28 that God has closed the doors on them, but dark, it, blindness in part, because God's going to open their eyes once again, is he not? Yes, he is. Praise the Lord for that. Now, Paul says this, because... The Jews rejected Christ. You had the opportunity to get saved. You're their debtors. And so he explains it. Their duty is also to minister unto them spiritual things. Or I misread that. Not spiritual things, but in back up in carnal things. Obviously the opposite of what I misspoke. They had a duty. So when Paul said, I'm a debtor, Paul recognized that I have a duty. I'm a debtor to Jesus Christ because of what he did for me. Listen, Paul recognized when, on the road to Damascus when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized the contrast between his goodness and his righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. That's why he says in the book of Philippians, he talks about, you know, not my righteousness. I don't want to be found. I want to be found in him, not having my righteousness, but having his righteousness. I'm glad one day that I can stand before God, not in my goodness, not in my, as, as Isaiah says, my filthy rags of righteousness. But I'm going to stand one day clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason I or you are going to be able to stand before God in glory. Because we are in Christ, having his righteousness. That's who we are. But Paul recognized on the road to Damascus that he was, that Jesus was Lord and he indeed was the sinner that God considered him. He recognized that he had a load of sin, but when he trusted Christ as his Savior, he found that that load of sin was wa washed away. 
he was in debt to Jesus Christ. But not only that, because of what God had done for him through saving his soul, he recognized he was in debt, had a duty to tell those that didn't know. If you... This happens much, many times. It's, it's kind of human nature that if you have a problem, let's, for instance, I hope this is not the case for anybody here, but let's, let's say, for instance, you would, have have, you would have cancer and you went through a treatment and you were put in remission and the doctor said, listen, this is permanent remission. It's gone. And, of course, you said, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, and whatever else. But, you know, I think some, many times there's an impulse in us to try to do something in light of those that don't have the blessing we have. And sometimes people will volunteer time, you know, for cancer victims and all, and, and try to go someplace to help people. If somebody, somebody has been blind or blinded or lost their sight temporarily, and through some operation uh, they're able to receive their sight back again, oftentimes they feel an obligation and urge to again help those that are still having the same or similar problem. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Paul said, listen, I know I was lost and I know now I was lost on my way to hell. And I see that people that were believed just like I believe, they did just what I did. They're in the same situation. And I'm in debt to them to tell them. I'm a debtor. It's his response to the gospel that so, so uh, um, burdened him that he said, there's nothing else that I can do. I have to take the gospel to these people. God has opened the door to these people. He's laid his hand on me to reach these people. And I cannot not go to these people. Not simply because God called me to go, but I'm in debt to them. God saved me. I was in darkness. They're still in darkness. Why did Paul do what he did? Simply put, because of how he reacted and responded to the gospel. Are you saved? The Lord save your soul? What's your response to the gospel? How burdened are you? How, you recognize the sinner that you were before you trusted Christ? You recognize you're still a sinner? But you recognize the, that your sin, as being a sinner, that your sin would have taken you to hell for eternity? And you realize that God saved you from that, forgave you, and you've got a home waiting for you in heaven? And now you look about you, walk out the doors of this church, and as you walk by, whether you get in a car or go someplace to get a bus or walk anywhere, and you're seeing house upon house, people upon people, you go block after block, mile after mile, from one borough to another borough, and it's just people, people, people. The majority of which do not know what you know. The majority of which don't have the peace that you have. The majority of which aren't going to heaven where you're going. The majority of which are trying to get to heaven in their own goodness, and you know the truth. God saved you. Are you in debt to him? Are you in debt to them? Paul was. And that's what prompted Paul to be obedient to that heavenly calling. You know, we have, uh, we have a society about us today that tries to get out of everything it can. 
if, if it's a little too hard, well, a little bit of resistance, well, they put up their arms, I won't bother with it. I'm not going to do it. You know, Paul had a different attitude about that. He said, I'm going to fulfill that duty in spite of personal cost to me. Today, we look at, I mean, the vast majority of people look at it today and they say, listen, the cost is greater than my duty. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I want to avoid that embarrassment. It's not worth it to me. Yeah, there's a duty I owe it to the Lord, but man, the cost is too much. Paul looked at it the other way around. Paul said, there is no cost too great for me. I believe it was, I'm trying to think if it was C.T. Studd. I believe it was C.T. Studd that made the statement that if God, if Christ be God and died for my sins, there's no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. I may be paraphrasing it. But if Christ be God, he is. And died for my sins, he did. Is it, is it possible that any sacrifice I make would be too great of a sacrifice to make for him? I don't believe so. Paul didn't believe that either. I want you to look with me now on the next verse, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said, listen, I have such an overwhelming debt. I have such a sense of debt to my Lord and my Savior and to these that are still in darkness when I have been given so many blessings that he said it put him in a position to volunteer. Here am I. Send me. You know those words from Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord and you had the seraphims there crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And, you know, Isaiah said, Isaiah's there and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The Lord says, who will go for us? Who will I send? I'll go. Send me. Isaiah put himself in a position to hear God's calling in his life and to fulfill it. To volunteer to go. I think our problem many times is the fact that we don't place ourselves in a position to hear God's calling. You know, any service, in any service, people respond differently, don't, do they not? I'm sure your pastor would say the very same thing. People respond differently. One person can be sitting there and afterwards just go up to your pastor and say, Pastor, that was a great message. Another person just walk right by. Now, it's not that the other second person is, doesn't demonstrate their, they might, maybe another message. That hits home to them. Maybe something was on their mind and, and it, it, something bothered them and they, didn't let the, they weren't really open to what was being said that night. But you can, have, you can have a husband and wife next to each other or friends next to each other. and God can be speaking to one person or I'm going to put it this way. God is speaking to all of us, but one person listens and the other person doesn't. I don't know if the case is here. You know, I understand it when you go back to Isaiah chapter 6 that it's Isaiah that has the vision of the Lord. So he's by himself. But let's put it, let's look at it this way. Here's Isaiah and a group of people. And God just gives him a vision at that moment because he had placed himself in a position to hear God. And he listens and he says, hey, here am I, send me. 
And the guy next to him said, what are you talking about? And sometimes we're that way when a preacher preaches and we say, yeah, I'll apply that to my life and my heart. And the person next, what are you doing? What are you getting all excited about? Don't let, don't, you know, don't let that message get to you. Paul placed himself in a position to be submissive to God's calling. He said, I'm a debtor. And because I am in debt to such a degree, I must volunteer and go. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to go. To you that are at Rome also. There came a time in my life where God spoke to my heart about Poland. And I said, Lord, if that's what you want me to do. In fact, I had said to him prior to that, I said, Lord, if you want me to, you want to call me in the mission field, I'm open. A couple of months later, he spoke to my heart about Poland. Okay, I'm ready to go. And what would, have, what would have been like if my reaction would have been, here I am, I say to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to call me to missions, that's perfectly fine with me. I'm content. I'm yielded to your will in regards to missions. And a couple of months later, he calls me and he says, okay, I want you to go to Poland. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't have Poland on my mind. Maybe someplace else, but not Poland. No. Paul said, I'm ready to preach. Even you folk at Rome. Rome's the seat of the government. Not necessarily going to be well received by the, as was asked the question about the government giving, being opposed to our being there. I don't think the Roman government was too, would have been too kindly affectionate toward Paul uh, coming there. Believers would have been, but not the government itself by any stretch of the imagination. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you, to them that are, or to, to you that are at Rome also. Paul was willing to go. Are you a debtor? Well, you are a debtor. Do you recognize that you're a debtor? And if you recognize you're a debtor, are you willing to go? You say, well, 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 let's talk about this. Where does go mean? Well, I wouldn't know. But are you ready? Are you willing to give it to God and put it in his hands? Lord, I recognize my debt. I'm a sinner. I know that I got saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am in debt. And I'm in debt to those that don't know what you have shown me. Now the next step, are you willing to go and leave it in God's hands where he would send you? You say, well, you know, God may just be testing you. He may just say, are you willing to go? And he's going to answer you, okay, fine, but I want you to stay. But you have to be yielded. And you know, if God says, I want you to stay, isn't that a, a blessing? To know that you offered and, uh, and uh, availed yourself, you, you, you gave yourself to the Lord and said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. And when the Lord says stay, you can stay knowing you put yourself out on the line. And knowing that this is where God wants you. But unless you do that, how do you know God doesn't want you to go somewhere else? To be a witness to him. I'm glad there are people that have been, that have left their homeland to go elsewhere, aren't you? I'm a Gentile. I got saved because somebody spoke to me. You say, well, that happened here in this country. Well, it did. That Jegos that you saw in the picture, he got saved, but he didn't get saved 
Uh, he got saved in his country, but only because somebody went to him. Not everybody here was born in this country. Not everybody here. And uh, if America is the melting pot, I'm telling you, New York City is the melting pot personified. You have anybody and everybody in this, in this city. Well, you know, maybe God brings people here to America and to New York City whatever, to get saved and some to go back to witness to those in their homeland. Well, that's just something to think about. That's just, you say, well, Brother Walski, 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 that sounds Polish. Well, it is Polish. Well, who's to say that God didn't bring my grandmother in 1921 over to a lost Catholic lady over to America that her grandson would get saved and be called back to her homeland? Who's to say God didn't do that? Who's to say God didn't bring you here to get you saved and grounded in the word to go back? I'm not trying to empty this church out by any stretch. I'll really, I'll lose support by all means. Brother Montoro says, scratch that fella. I'm losing members in my church. Hey, listen. When you, you cannot get out, give God and you can't out sacrifice for God. And if God called people out of this church to be missionaries on a foreign field, God will bring somebody else to fill your place. Don't worry about the Lord. Paul was ready to go. I have a missionary friend. He's up in Arctic, Canada. Uh, when, he, when we were in Bible school, he came through and we took him on for support ourselves, personal support. And uh, he's been in up, up in Arctic Canada for a long time, but he had heart problems. Uh, been many years ago now that he, I can't even remember if it was upwards. He's up there probably 20 years or so, but he came back because of heart problems to the States. And he was in the States for a number of years. And you know what? A couple of years back, God spoke to his heart about going back. And he's there now back in Arctic Canada. There's a fellow that was, another fellow that I know, I don't know him personally, but I know about him. He was a GI in Vietnam during the war. Lost GI. He came home, he got saved. He started a church, pastored a church in the States. And you know what? God laid his hand upon him and said, I want you to go back to Vietnam. And he's there today with ministries in Vietnam. You know, there are people that cannot be spectators at a sport. They have to be participants. We understand spectators, sports, participants, sports. If you like to play oh, something like, say, baseball, and uh, you, you just don't want to just watch it, you like to play it. You want to be a participant, not just a spectator. Some things that are better. I mean, uh, major NFL football, I'm a spectator. There's no way, shape, or form I would get on a field, no matter how much equipment I could put on me, and be up against some of those humongous uh, animals, you might call them, on the field. I mean, they would kill me, run over me like crazy. But I would rather be a participant than a spectator in the Lord's work. Lastly, I want you to look at verse 16. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said this, 
The reason Paul was obedient to that heavenly calling is he said, listen, I have utmost confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. By pers- not by theory, but by personal experience, Paul said, hey, I know what I, how I got saved. Did you get saved because of the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Is that reality what saved your soul? Yes, it is. It's what saved my... Did it have the power to save your soul? Does it still have the power to save? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He knew firsthand experience the power of the gospel of Christ. If you're saved, you know, and God changed your life. You know the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed of that? Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He said, I'm a debtor. He said, I'm ready to go. And when I go, I'm going to be preaching the gospel. He said, I don't have any confidence in my ability, my linguistic ability. I don't have any confidence in my power of persuasion, my power of argument, my power of logic. I have no, I have no, uh, I don't have any confidence whatsoever in my own personality or my ability to influence people for Christ, I have, and what I have confidence in is the gospel. Now, when Paul went, he recognized that there'd be opposition. He was going to be opposed by the Roman government. He was going to be opposed by Judaizers, uh, those that wanted to still adhere to the law, Jewish brethren of his, or at least according to the flesh. He recognized that there were false idols and temples and gods out there and adherence to that and that he would be in opposition to all of these people. But Paul said, hey, I've got confidence in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Whether it's a Roman government, whether it's uh, Jewish unbelievers, whether it's a heathen, uh, false idolaters, the gospel can save a soul. We're in Poland. We're up against Roman Catholicism. I mean, it's, it's not Rome, but it's, it's a hotbed of Catholicism. We're on the streets of Poland. The people there, when they, you know, when we're tracking and all, and they come up to us and they ask us one of the main questions that they'll simply ask us. He said, what do you believe about Matka Boska? He said, what on earth is Matka? Well, that's the mother of God in Polish. What do you believe about the mother of God? They're, they're trying to ask us, what do you believe about Mary? Don't you revere Mary as the mother of God? And I say, I hate to burst your bubble, but no, we don't. Look at it in the light you look at it at. And I explained from the Bible that, yes, I believe that Mary bore the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, but she didn't bear God, and she's not the mother of God. She simply bore a son who became our Savior. And we had a lady this summer when Peg and I, we were at a, at a park evangelizing, and this one lady, uh, I also had somebody do this, a similar thing, but the lady said to Peg, and he actually took her by her arm, oh, I'm so sorry that you don't believe in the mother of God. It's just, it's Catholicism all over the place. Yes, I understand. There's not every one of them a practicing Catholic. There are those, as they call themselves, a non-practicing Catholic. They're still Catholic, but they don't go to church or whatever. They're those that have left the Catholic Church, don't consider themselves believers. I think Catholicism breeds atheism. 
I really believe that. People get fed up because they don't see God. The, the church there purports to be the, the uh, uh, you know, sender of God and it's going to have the, um, uh, you know, God's uh, man, the Pope and everything else. And yet they see that it's a hollow, dead religion and they give up on religion completely, give up on God completely. Catholicism breeds atheism. I believe that. But there are more devout Catholics in Poland than possibly any other country outside of maybe something like Mexico. So it's not an easy field, and it's a hard place to go. But you know what I believe? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We may not see the results that we would love to see, and your pastor and you would love to see here. We see some results. I don't know what it's going to be like in glory because of the literature that goes out and people that we've talked to that we have not seen visible, visible results. And maybe people do get saved. And I'm banking on that. I'm banking on a verse in Isaiah chapter 55 that God says his word doesn't return void. And so while we're there and whether we see the people get saved or not, God works and is working. All I wanted to say to you tonight is try to show you from Scripture why I believe God, why I believe Paul surrendered to God's calling in his life and fulfilled it. It wasn't, it was unique for Paul, but you know it's not unique for all of us. God may not call you to be a missionary, but you're still a debtor. God may not call you to go beyond the borders of this country. But are you ready to preach the gospel to those that you come in contact with? Like Paul was ready to go outside the borders of his country. Are you ready to preach the gospel to those that are around you and about you? And are you really willing and believing and standing firm on the reality that it's not what you say. It's not your argument. It's not... It's not some type of a, an, uh, something that you have fixated in your mind, your opinions. It's the word of God. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that will save. Quote a Bible verse to them. Give them the word of God. Let God work through his word to convict their heart. Let his, give something for his Holy Spirit to work in their lives to convict them and to win them to Christ. We see from Scripture why Paul was so willing and was so faithful to fulfill that calling. And you know, nothing that I said here is any different than should be from any one of us in our lives. We should all recognize our debt, be willing and ready to go, and do it in the power of the gospel. Pastor? Let's bow our heads, please, for a short word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your goodness to us, your ministry to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings uh, through the Bible, the blessings of salvation. God, I ask and pray that you will uh, take and use what has been said tonight to just encourage us to go on for you. Encourage us to live for you. Encourage us to be faithful until you come back for us. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.